Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. But let's, let's add a little more meat to the bone. The wife is created to submit, be under submission. And what does that mean, though? Let's talk about that for a minute. Look in Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible. This church is fun to preach in because there's a real honor for the Word, you can tell. You can tell when people have been taught. And when people, uh, they honor the Bible. Not everybody's like that right now. You know, to me, it's like if it says it in the Bible, well, that pretty much settles it. That's God's Word. That's what we got to do. I don't have to understand it all the time. But we're living in a culture that's not that way so much. And, uh, but I, I just appreciate the, the honor for teaching here. But Ephesians 5, let's look at verse 21. And it says this about, uh, about marriage. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we're going to talk about women submitting but notice it begins talking about you submit to one another. And you do this because you're honoring Jesus. Amen. So women, yeah, they are to submit and men are to lead by loving their wives. We'll talk about that. But the heart of this thing is there's times you submit to each other. Amen. Yeah, because there's sometimes, you know, uh, here's the way marriage works. There's sometimes that the guy will understand what needs to be done and lead and that's all well and good. But sometimes the woman or my wife works just like this she'll have wisdom on a situation more than i do and when that happens i submit to her because it's it's it sounds good it's true right you you follow what i'm saying so this is kind of the heart of submission you submit to one another in marriage but then it goes on to uh, to kind of explain this for the husband is the head of his wife as christ is the head of the church he is the savior of his body the church for a husband is a i've got that down twice uh, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. But here's the way it works. As the church submits to Christ. So here's the deal about you submit to Christ. You, when you obey God, He's never going to hurt you. Amen. He's never going to abuse you. Right. He's never going to lead you in something that's going to mess you up. And because He's a perfect head. Now, as husbands, we're not perfect, okay? And yet, this is the way we are supposed to treat our wives. Women are to submit, but men are to love. It says we are to love our wife as Christ loved the church. And here's what love means. Love is not just, oh, baby, you're looking good today. Come on over here. I love you. That's part of it. That's, that's cool. That's great. But that's a little bitty part of it. Love actually means it, it's a service word. And it actually means in the Hebrew language, here's what love means. You ought to write this down. It means I will give. And isn't that the heart of, of God? Because John 6, 3.16, the most famous scripture in the Bible, and it ought to be. It's so good. It says that, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I am so glad it doesn't just say, for God loved the world. That'd be enough. But he said, for God so loved the world. Let me tell you God's attitude toward you this morning. He so loves you <laughs> as an individual. God so loved the world, but he loved the people of the world. Every one of them. Man, God, he's got a, 
How does he do that? It's because he's God. How can he know every person, created every person, made us individually? You know, we, nobody looks quite the same. Of all these 7 billion plus people living on this planet right now, you cannot find anybody that looks exactly like you, that sounds like you. You know, you have a voice print that can identify you. Nobody has a voice like you. Nobody has your fingerprint. Seven plus billion. How does God do that? He's really good at creating. So, but God so loved the world, everybody in it, that He gave. He so loved that He gave. So love is about giving. Love is not just, man, I love you because you look good today. No, love is about sacrifice. He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believes, believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life, Right? So that's the heart of of submission. Submission doesn't mean inferiority. Submission doesn't mean silence. Here's the way submission is designed to work. Break it down. Submission, women are to submit, but there's two words here. Sub and mission. Sub is a prefix. means to be under. Like a submarine goes under the water, right? Uh, uh, So sub means to be under. So she is subbed to the... The word mission, so the husband has a mission, he's the leader, it's not, all, it's not just his mission, you have a mission together, but you have a mission, you're here for a mission, and she subs whenever the husband is leading in the mission, and the problem of, of a lot of marriages is the husband isn't leading, and here's the way you lead, first of all, you serve God, and, and here's the way, here's what Trudy tells me. I don't, I don't think we said this last night. She tells me this. She says, if I know you've heard from God, and you, I know you're praying, and I know you're in the Word, she said, this confidence comes on me because when you tell me something like God told me this, or I think we should do that, she said, something comes on me to go, okay, he's leading, and I'll, I'll follow this guy anywhere. What bothers her if I'm, if I'm stumbling around and I really haven't heard from God yet and I'm just trying to figure things out. And sometimes life's like that, right? I mean, we walk this thing out by faith. Amen. Sometimes you don't always know. But that's why you stay in the Word and you listen to God and, and you keep on moving forward even through the disappointments of life, through the chapters of life. You know, life has chapters. Yes. Uh, you know, we've been through our 20s. And 20s was an interesting time. And then we got in our 30s, and things began to change when you're 30s. And you, we had kids now, and our kids began to grow up. And then we got into our 40s. Wow, that was a new chapter. I never thought it'd be 40. 40 sounded old when I was 11. It's not that old now. And then we're going toward 50. I don't know, 50 was like a big deal. 50, wow, when I crossed 50. And then, you know, then we're into the 60s now. And this, there's different chapters. There's things that, that I don't do now at, at my age that I used to do when I was in my 30s. Like I used to do things like when we did kids ministry, I dressed up in a cowboy outfit. And then I would get in a dog suit and I would do dog skits. And I had a lot of energy to do that. And, I, and, and here's the deal. I don't do that anymore. And it's not because I'm too good for it. It's just that's a chapter in the past, right? There's, there's just some things that you have to honor your age. Uh, in our church right now, my son is the pastor of, our, of the church. It's called New Song Church in Oklahoma City. He founded the church. He's the boss. But I have a unique place because I'm an elder in the church. And, and so because of our relationship, we've, my son and I have always been close. He worked with us for 
how long Josh and Sarah worked for us? Six or eight years. And uh, we always had this heart that we were going to do ministry together. But, but yet now, he planted the church and he's the boss of the church, right? But I get to walk alongside him and help him. And so now I got a lot of young people in my life that I help lead. And I'm the old dude around there, you know. But it's kind of cool because I'm, I'm very honored and I, I, I'd meet with our leaders and our worship leader and, you know, the, these guys. And it's, a, it's kind of a cool chapter. But it's a, it's a chapter I couldn't have entered into when I was 20. No. You follow me? So you have to honor these different chapters. But back to submission. The heart of submission is you're under a mission. And wives are to submit to their husbands. And this is the way God designed this to work. But then there are times that wives don't submit. There's things that she doesn't have to submit to. Let, let's list a few. Number one, the wives don't have to submit when their husband wants them to commit sin. You don't submit to that. You don't have to submit if your husband became medically incapacitated or he became insane. Now the wife's going to have to take on a different kind of a role in that particular situation when the husband is physically abusive and threatens the life of her or the children women don't have to submit to that no you shouldn't submit to that in fact that's against the law leave call the cops get out of there because you could really get hurt and and that's it has even been taught i've heard it taught in the churches that you just submitted everything and God will take care of you, but there are boundaries. Even when, that's why I'm dealing with this. You don't, you don't have to submit when the husband commits adultery. Amen. And he breaks the marriage covenant. That's an out that you have. Now, you don't have to get a divorce over that. But according to Scripture, you can. And that's up to the process that you, that you are in. And a lot of different things we won't get into. But... Uh, so, this is the way submission is designed to work. The best example of submission and how submission works is how Jesus submitted to the Father. And how did Jesus do that? You know, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my Father do it. And there was a perfect love, submission, back and forth with God and Jesus. And this is the way God designed marriage to work. Now, you know, the husband is not, uh, God is perfect. And Jesus was perfect. And so you're not going to be perfect at this. But this is the way this was designed to work. To work, And this is the way that God will bless your marriage, right? When the man leads and the wife submits. Let us talk about, uh, we're, we're talking about the Genesis prototype of marriage. So let's go back to Genesis. And uh, we talked about a couple of points last, last night. Let's make a couple more this morning. And we'll, we'll talk a little here and then we'll take a little break. But... Uh, you know, God created Adam in the garden. Remember our sequence, how that God pronounced he was going to create men and women, male and female, to, to, uh, to have dominion, to rule in the earth. That's God's declaration in the beginning. Then he created Adam. And then the next thing that happened, go to Genesis 2.15, is that God lets us know that this man was created for a purpose. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to watch over it, or to steward it. Uh, Then the next verse says, But the Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So, before Adam got a wife, 
God put him in a particular place called the Garden of Eden, which was, we're not sure exactly where that was or, but, or, or what it was like, but we know it was a nice, nice place because there's no sin on the earth right now, so there's no curse on the earth. We talked about the curse last night, but that hasn't happened yet. So the Garden of Eden, I mean, it was really cool. I bet the weather was perfect. You know, the, the, you know, the, it was so beautiful and gorgeous and, and didn't, and here's Adam and God did this because before he got married, God wanted him to have some things in order. First of all, before he got married, Adam had a vision and an assignment he had a job to do. We talked last night about how men find their identity in their job. Well, God gave Adam a job. He was to tend and watch over a twofold job. He was to work the garden. The first profession in the history of jobs was a farmer. <laughs> that is the heart of everything. God put the seed in the earth. Remember that? It says over in Genesis chapter 1. And so Adam was to... Uh, was to tend that garden and watch over it and keep it, or to, to till the ground and work. But then he was to watch over it, or the King James, what does the King James say? I don't have this in my notes. To keep it. Now here's what that means. That means he was to guard it. Which tells us, inadvertently, God is telling Adam, Adam, there's an enemy that's out there. And you're going to have to, really this term Garden of Eden in, in the Hebrew language, here's what this means. This is really revealing. It means the hedge of eternal life. So God created Adam to operate in this place of eternal life with this job. But it's a beautiful place. But, there, but Adam, had a, there was a hedge around it that God said, I want you to keep the hedge up. Interesting. God didn't say, I'm going to keep this hedge up for you. You just enjoy yourself. Uh-uh. What, what is that? That is the power of choice that we all have. Yes. And it's also telling, he's telling Adam, there's going to come somebody, an enemy, that's going to try to cross this hedge. You know, at, at our house, I don't know what your house is like, but we have a privacy fence around our property. And, you know, I'm not scared of my neighbors necessarily, but it just, that's my property. Yeah. It's my yard. And, and I like it. You can come over every once in a while, but understand, this is my yard, and you stay in your yard. And I'm not being ugly, but it's my property. I'm paying for that sucker. You know what I mean? And, and God, that's what God wants you to do. But I have to keep it. I, I talked about mowing the yard last night. And I have to, I have to keep the place up. And, uh, and from time to time, we have predators that try to invade. Things my wife hates, like so we have spiders come in. Got any spiders at your house? We live on a creek, so we seem to have a lot more bugs. And whenever spiders come out... You know, I'm the man of the house. And Trudy finds a spider. And guess who gets in trouble? Me. I found a spider. You need to call that company. We need to get, we, need, we got to spray this thing. So I'm, what am I doing? I'm keeping the property. Keeping a hedge up. <laughs> and then, you know, in extreme circumstances, I've got a, a gun in my house. And if somebody tries to, to break in, and I, you know, I lock my doors and I have an alarm system. Why do I do all that? Because that's my house. And you come in and I have every right to, to exit you out of there. Yeah. If it's extreme. But why? Because you're coming against me and you're trying to, I'm gonna, you know, you get in my house, then I'm concerned you're trying to hurt me or my wife. And I have every right, but on the authority of the word, to guard my house. So here's what happened in the garden. God told Adam, he said, I want you to work, but I want you to guard this place. And you know what? Adam didn't take that quite seriously enough. 
Because in Genesis chapter 2, right after they got married, you know, the devil never shows up. There's no serpent until they got married. And then, that's the end of chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 3. Now, here comes the serpent. Why? He saw that marriage as a threat. The enemy sees your marriage as a threat to his plan. And he's going to try to invade. So Adam had an assignment. He had a job that was important to him. Number two, he had a place to live before he got married. The Garden of Eden, real nice place. But God had a home prepared for the woman before she got there. Number three, he had an active relationship with God. He's walking with God. And that's very important. A woman needs a man to walk with God. Ideally before she gets there. Didn't happen that way with Trudy and I because we weren't serving God. But it happened later (laughs) when we got our life. When I got my life right with God, it seemed like order began to take place in our marriage. So he he had a relationship with God. And then he had some disciplines in his life. Remember last night we talked about how that God said, you can eat of all the trees, enjoy yourself, have a good time, eat to your full, except this one tree, and that's my tree. And don't eat of that one, because if you do, it's going to kill you. Isn't that, what, isn't that what God said? And that's like a lot of things. That's like a picture of a lot of things. That's number one, you just honor God above all else in life. Number two, it's a picture of the tithe, I believe. Which is God said, this is mine. You know, honor me with that. Because if you'll do so, then I'll bless everything. All this other stuff that I gave you. You know the tithe is like that. I'm not trying to take anything away from you in tithing. And somebody says, well, I don't believe we're supposed to tithe. I believe that is the Old Testament. No. Tithing, the heart of tithing is just you're saying to God. It's not just a law. But you're just saying to God, God, I love you. I believe you're going to help me with my finances. So let me just give you 10%. That's just a great place to start. Without getting into the, all the legality of it, and I could prove the legality of it. I'm not teaching on tithing this morning. But it's just a picture that you're going to honor God so He can bless you. Because you've got to have money Amen. in life. I mean, you're going to need it all your life. I can tell you, we've been married nearly 50 years. We've needed money all along the, the road. <laughs> and we're going to need some more. And just that's the way life is. But I want God's blessing on my money. Yeah. So that's why we tithe first. We give Him the first fruits, right? It's not a law. It's the honor to God. That's the heart of it. And so God's just saying, okay. And it's also a picture of you've got to learn to say no to particular things in life if you're going to go on with God. You've got to have some discipline about you. You know, you do have to, if you want to live a long time on the earth, I'm not picking on anything. I'm just I'm throwing out some things. Smoking will cut your life off. It's not just God says, oh, you're nasty because you smoke. And I'm going to kill you. No. It's just, it hurts your body. You know, you have to constantly fight overeating. It's not just a law. It's just because you got to take care of yourself. And you feel better. And, you know, the older I get, the more I, I, I have to challenge of feeling young like I used to. And I want to stay vital my whole time. But I have a part to play in this. It's not just the blessing of God on me. Because things will come against your health from time to time. Uh, I've been the last time I was in the hospital was when I was six years old, and I had my tonsils taken out. That's a long time ago. But then this year, uh, 
we had some friends that, that had come to town in January, right before the COVID thing hit. And uh, I got up one morning, we were going to go out with them that day. And uh, I got up and I just felt weird. I mean, I'd never felt weird like this. And I thought, man, I got the flu. And then I thought, I, had, I got food poisoning. We went out to eat with them. And I just, as the moments went by, I began to feel worse and worse. And I went in the bathroom because I'm just thinking, wow, something's got to give here. Something, I got to lose something. Something, <laughs> you know how that and I, and I and stayed in there a minute. And then I kept getting, and I got weak. And I had to crawl out of the bathroom. I started sweating. And then I walked in the bedroom. And I got up to get on the bed. And Trudy came in. And I collapsed. And I passed out. And I hit the door in the bathroom and knocked it off the hinges. I hit it so hard. And the next thing I knew, she's over there pressing on my chest saying, In the name of Jesus! In the name of Jesus! Beating on my chest. And I came out of it. And she tells the story. I passed out. How long was I out? About 10 or 15 seconds. And my eyes were open. She thought I was gone. And... Uh, and then I came out of it. I don't know exactly what happened. But they discovered, long story short, that I, had a, uh, that I was losing blood somewhere. They put me in the hospital, you know, checked me out all over where they, you know, go in and check it. And they discovered I had a bleeding ulcer in my esophagus and in my stomach and my blood pressure dropped. And, boy, that was an exciting couple of days. And I was in the hospital. And, uh, but, but I came out of it because I'm, I'm a pretty healthy guy. And they fixed it all up. And now I'm, I'm doing great today. Amen? Amen? But challenges come is my point. And, and, and you honor God with discipline because you want to fulfill your time on the earth, right? So then Adam has got this stuff together. Let me just make a statement as we get out of this. And Trudy's about to come up here. Adam had, he's got a job. He's got a place to live. He's got disciplines in his life. And he's honor and, uh, and he's walking with God. Never got men. If you've got a daughter, don't let him marry a guy unless he's got these things in place. Amen. This is God's way, okay? And then, the next point I want to make is, then the woman was created to partner with the man. <laughs> to part, what did I say? Oh, okay. <laughs> Thought I did something. Uh, the, <laughs> next point, write this down. The woman was created to partner with the man and with God. So Adam's got his act together, and then God makes this declaration, Genesis 2.18. And he says, and the Lord God said, he looks at this situation with this guy, and he says, eh, it's not good that this man's alone. Now that's interesting, because everything God has done up to that point in time in the Bible has been good. What he created on day one, he said, and God said it was good. Day two, and God saw and said it was good, right? You remember that? But for the first time we got something, God says, eh, this is not good that this guy should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. I'm reading from the King James. Help meet for him. Now, write, this, write down that word help meet. Help meet. It's two words, actually. And here's what help meet means. We wrote about this in our book. Help meet means, help is a Hebrew word, ezer, because the Old Testament's written in Hebrew. So that's ezer. And that means help. <laughs> Yeah, so there it is, defined. Ezra means help. But then the word meet is an interesting word. And some people, I've heard them teach on this and say, God made Adam a helpmate. It doesn't, that's not what it says. Not a helpmate. It says help meet. Because when you say helpmate, that's kind of like, well, Adam had this, he needed something to help him. So he had, God made this cute little girl. No, 
Meet actually means a helper. Ezer negeds the Hebrew word. means helper opposite. Hmm. Or you could say it this way. A helper with a different opinion. Oh, my Lord. Any lights coming on? Or here's, a, here's the long Hebrew definition that we got from a word study we found one time. Here's what that word actually means. The strong military ally that sees the enemy. Now, I want you to think about that. Woman, she is the weaker vessel, but God says, Adam, you need help. So I'm going to give you a strong military ally. The woman's weaker, but that's in her physical being. That's not mentally or spiritually. Mm-mm, she's got strength. Strong military ally. Military ally? Why is that? Because you're in a war, remember? There's a curse on the earth. We're fighting up strength. The culture is going against God now more than ever in America and the world. Whoa, things are changing. And when you're in a war, you need a helper. You need somebody to stand beside you. That's why you need, you need each other in marriage. You need the church during this time. I think the church is going to be more than ever the place of, to, to find truth and shelter. And in these days, man, you need the church. You need other people like you to help you. But back to strong military ally that sees the enemy. Women just have this ability to see things. The details of a woman. And Trudy, come tell us all about how that works. Let me give you this mic. Thank you. That gave you time to think about what he said, didn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, this I, I love teaching this because, man, it just turns lights on. And uh, when I began to study this, I never felt in my life the love that I've realized from my Heavenly Father because I realized that, that he created a woman for a, a tremendous purpose. Ken talked about it last night. Purpose determines design. And when he created Adam, he created him first because, like Ken said, he wanted to mentor him to get him ready for this girl that was about to come. Because if you don't know anything about the father, you know fathers watch over their girls. Uh, we knew a pastor in, uh, down in South Texas, and he's a cowboy, and they called him Big Daddy. And he was talking about when his wife, you know, when his daughter began to date, everybody that came to the door uh, to date her, to court her, he'd just sit on the front porch and clean his shotgun. And what he's saying is, this is my girl, and you better take good care of her. And, you know, there's, there's something about a, a, a woman. Uh, when, when God hands a woman off to a, a, a young man, Generally, it's the father that does that. You see that in the garden. He's the one. The father was the one that brought her to Adam. And that's why there were stipulations on 
how she would be treated, where she would live. Was he walking with God? That's why all this was put in a foundation before she ever came along. Because that's how much he loved her. You know, this wasn't a little trinket that God says, Oh, Adam, you're by yourself, and I'm going to make you a little trinket. No, no. He was going to bring something to his life that without her, he wasn't going to make it, and his vision would never be fulfilled. Because uh, the Lord told me this day, he said, Adam didn't need a wife. The world needed a woman. And the way that she operates... Because she is so different. And she brings things to the table that the man just doesn't have in his, in his uh, wheelhouse. And he's not supposed to because she came to help him get things done. Now, when you think about it, God made Adam out of the dirt. And, uh, but that's the last person that was ever made out of dirt. After that, there was uh, God began to make... Uh, Eve, she didn't come from the dirt. She actually came from the DNA of Adam. And this is what happened. Uh, Let's look at verse 21 of Genesis 2. And we're just going to start going through this. And and I'm just going to, I can't teach everything I know about this. It'd take me forever, but because I just love this thing. But it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And while he slept, He took one of his ribs. This is what it says in the Amplified, and this is also what it says in the Hebrew. He did not just take a little bone out. It said he actually took a part of his side, and then he closed up the place or the wound with flesh. In the the Hebrew, if you could study the Hebrew on this, what it actually means is he took Adam and almost cut him right down the middle, just cut him in two. And this is more spiritually than anything else. But he, what God said was, it's not good for him to be all alone. Really what that means is it's not good for him to be all in one. He says, I need a partnership to get this, this job done in the earth. So I'm going to take a, a, a side out of Adam, and I'm gonna, then I'm going to heal the flesh back up. And I'm going to make something that's a compliment to him or a counterpart to him. Amen. And she was going to be completely different, as we see as we study. But let me point out a couple of things about this. Uh, it said he took one of the ribs or part of his side or the side out of Adam and closed up the wound with the flesh. Number one, you can, Adam could not get his bride without a sacrifice and a commitment. That's why living together is not sanctioned by God. Because it requires a commitment. Because Adam was about to lose something that he wasn't going to get back. It was, gonna, it was a sacrifice. I, uh, I don't know if any of you remember Hilton Sutton. But he used to say this. And this is exactly what happened. Because when you look at, at, at Adam and Eve, you're going to see Christ in the church. He said it took a wound in the side to get the bride. It required something. It required a sacrifice. So God said, I'm not going to just... And and I believe this too. I don't think he just walked up to Adam and conked him on the back of the head and knocked him out. And he didn't even know what was going to happen. Because that doesn't match scripture. God was in the habit of always talking to his people about what he was going to do. Like he came to Abraham and said, I'm about to destroy Sodom. You got some family there. You better go do what you need to do. 
You know, he consulted. And, that, and Abraham even, you know, said, would you just not destroy, you know, the, that story. He talked to God and reasoned with him. He said, would you do this? Would you do this? And finally they came to an agreement about what God would do. And, and, but I believe he did that with Adam. I believe he said, I've got you ready, but I, I have something for you that's wonderful. But it's going to require a sacrifice on your part. And I'm going to put you to sleep and I'm going to take part of you. And make something wonderful. And I think they were in agreement. Because you remember, this isn't a fairy tale. This is his son. This is his son. I can't imagine my, you know, my husband and my son are very close. And they talk about everything. And this is going to be the most important part of creation to come. It's going to be the crown of creation that's going to make everything work. So he talked to, he talked to Adam, put him to sleep took that part out of him, and then he created this amazing uh, girl. But she was totally different. Now, if you know anything about cloning, and they still can't do it, <laughs> because it takes, uh, you know, you got to, some kind of nuclear thing has to happen to split a cell to get that to happen. And they've tried and tried to do it, because they're trying to be God. But I think another reason God put Adam to sleep was so he couldn't know how God did this because he said I don't want him creating I don't like this woman so I'll just create me another one no God says no this is you're going this girl's for you and another thing that happened too is whatever in, in creation and this is very important everything on the days of creation if you study it out each day something had to happen to be the source of the next day you had to have everything in order, you know, the, the light and the, the moon and the stars and, and all of that, and then the plants, and then, because there's plant, it had to be plants for the cattle, and then the cattle were created because they were food for the man, and then the man was created because he was the source for what was about to come, and that was his wife. Because she didn't come out of dirt, she came out of him. So he became responsible for her. In his life. And that's still ha true today. That's why the man is the leader, the, the foundation, the responsible one, the gatekeeper, so to speak, of the family. So, so Adam has uh, been put to sleep. The rib is taken out. But this is very interesting. Uh, the word rib there, or side, in the Hebrew actually means for advice. That's what it means in Hebrew. It's, it's a word. It's T-S-E-L-A-H, I think. But it means for advice. So this piece of, of man that was taken out of her, out of him, was, the was going to be one of the greatest advisors he would ever have because she's a part of him, but she thinks different. So she's going to bring something to the table that was not there before. Does that make sense? Uh, and it says in verse 22, And the rib or the side which the Lord had taken from man, built he, now we talked about that last night, built he a woman and brought her to the man. Now the word built there does mean she was fashioned completely different. Uh, God said she doesn't need to be like the man. She's got to have a different body because they're going to complement each other. But the word built there is very interesting. It is the word banah. Or bina, you can pronounce it either way. But bina means 
uh, wisdom. It means the ability to read between the lines. They say it's kind of like, how does a rooster know to crow before the sun comes up? How does he know when to do There's like an inner clock in a rooster. There's something in a woman that God put in her. There really is such a thing as woman's intuition. There really is a sensitivity that was, has, was built into the woman uh, because of her emotional makeup, the way she thinks everything about her that's different than a man. Because she thinks totally different. Men are more logical. They think more out of the factual side of the brain. Women think out of both sides of the brain at the same time. They, they're more emotional. Men calculate women emote. Does that make sense? That's why when women uh, talk or communicate, a lot of times they cry. Now, there's, it's not that a man can't cry, but a lot of times women, when they start to talk, they start to cry because their emotions are all involved. They go by their feelings more than a man. And one thing about women is men say more what they think. Women say what they feel. You know, uh, it, it, that's why sometimes your communication gets off. It's because a guy will just say something, and he doesn't mean he thinks you're that. Like, he might say, well, that's a stupid thing to say. Well, a woman thinks you're saying she's stupid. She feels it, you know, and she takes that on. But a man's just thinking, that was a stupid thing for you to do in this moment. You know, he's just logically calculating. And so you have to start understanding how each other thinks and works. Because if you don't, you're going to clash all the time. Because God made woman to be an advisor for the man. And then let's go on down to uh, uh, verse 23. And Adam said, and I love this. I think this was the, when he saw her, when God brought her to him. I think when he saw her, he realized she came out of me. I'm responsible for her. But I think this is also the wedding vows in the garden. It said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And uh, one of the things about bones, you think about bones, she's bone of my bones. He, He knows this is a part of me. I've got to protect her. She is me. That's why it says that a man is the savior of the body. He can't hate his own flesh. Because she is. Once you get married, something happens supernatural. Supernaturally it happens. There's nothing like it on earth except when you get born again. And you become one with Jesus Christ. How does that happen? It's a spiritual thing. The only other relationship on earth that that happens is when you get married and you make those vows to God. God does something supernaturally that is... It's a miracle. Now... It happens spiritually, but then you've got to work on the rest of it. You've got to work on the soul. You've got to work on the flesh. Because marriage involves three parts, just like everything else. Three parts of the human uh, body. I mean, of the body. There's the body, the soul, and the spirit. You have to work on those three in marriage, too. You have to work on the physical relationship together. You have to work on the soul relationship together. You have to learn how to communicate and get along. And then spiritually, you have to learn how to flow together in the spirit and pray together and be spiritual together. So God wants you to be totally one. But you start out by him just making you 
spiritually one. It's kind of like when you get born again. You are made brand new, but you aren't there yet. Because then you've got to renew your mind with the word. And you've got to do what God tells you to do with your flesh and say no to it. Like the disciplines that Adam was taught in the garden. So, but another thing about the bones is, and I think Adam realized this, and this goes back to the advisor. Um, bones you can't see. Bones are hidden. And so when Adam saw Eve, he recognized spiritually, he said, not only is she a part of me, but she's going to be my hidden strength. There's just so much in this that, that, that we, I, I, you know, like I said, I could teach all day. But then it says, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And this is what's so cool. The word woman means this when he saw her. This is why he declared, this is a man with a womb. That's what woman means. The man with the womb. And so now, because she's made different, they're going to come together. And they're going to bring godly seed to the earth for the father. Isn't that what it says in Malachi? It says, did I not put you together to... To give me godly seed in the earth. See, that was the birth of the family right there. But God knew exactly she had to be developed, made different than him. That's why her body's different. And the man was made a certain way. But when you come together, then that multiplies everything. And it takes you to a higher level. Now, the womb is something that's amazing. And this is another amazing thing about a woman. A womb is an incubator it incubates and incubators you put something in it when it's not quite mature and you keep it in that incubator for a while and it grows it to maturity you know when my little daughter was born she was born six weeks early and uh, they didn't think she was they didn't know if her lungs would be uh, developed so the first thing they do she was only four pounds she's a little tiny thing the first thing they did after she was born, they took her immediately and put her in an incubator so that she could stay warm. And I don't know how it all works, but they cause them to, uh, to grow and mature. Well, that's the way a woman is. She is an incubator. And she didn't just incubate babies. She incubates everything. Everything that she sees or hears, she's incubating. That's why when you tell your wife a vision, she just immediately, she, if she believes you've heard from God, that turns her incubator on. And she's going, how can I help him get this done? That's how you, that, and, every, and it's in everything. You incubate when they're driving. You incubate, women incubate everything. You know, I was, I was telling the, the pastor and his wife, Ken and I, and I, I've learned to just enjoy the, ch the difference. You know, I just think everything he does, I would do different. Everything. If he, if he parks somewhere, I think to myself, now I wouldn't have parked here. I would have parked over there because I've got this thing in my mind. I've got this thing in my mind that... that why I think that would be a better place. You know, it's not that we're going to have a fuss about it, but I'll just think... Why are you parking there? 
it's tight. You can't, you know, you can't open the door. Over here, you got all this space. Nobody will bump my car. And, you know, I'm, this is, an, you're just helping constantly. When, when, they're, when they're in traffic, and I know he, he's, he's told me this, because I constantly say this in traffic, traffic. You know, he'll be driving, we'll get close to a truck, and I'll say, do they know you're there? And he'll say, I don't know if they know I'm there. But I'm just thinking, it looks like they're going to move over. And you're just, because you're watching. See, part of the thing in a woman is she is a watcher. Remember the strong military ally that sees the enemy. So she's constantly in a flow of especially godly women that know the word, that pray. You're in this constant flow of helping. And it doesn't mean we're not as important. Actually, in a lot of ways, we're more important. Is the Holy, We have the role almost of the Holy Spirit. You look at the role of the Holy Spirit and you'll see a woman in it. What is she? She's a She's a counselor. She's a helper. She's an advocate. When nothing's meaner than a woman if you come against her family or her kids. She's an advocate. She's going to go to bat, and she's going to go bat for you quick. That's the way a woman is. She's a comforter. She's an intercessor. She intercedes in the family. She's a strengthener. You know, there's not probably anybody on this earth that can strengthen a husband like a woman can. And see his frailties and see the things that she keeps hidden and she prays and she keeps respecting you because she knows, she knows you. And then she's your standby. See, and a helper doesn't do the work. They just help you get it done. And they have the ability to come in and just and heighten things. See, women know more, um, if you know anything about their structure, for the most part, it's not always true, but for the most part, do you know men have better uh, long-range vision than a woman? They can see farther. But women have more, better peripheral vision. So what happens when you put those together? You have perfect vision. Women see more colors than men because they have the double X chromosome and the X chromosome determines color. So they see a plethora of colors. They, see, they don't see like guys are, it's red and orange and yellow and, you know. Women see coral and salmon and periwinkle and lavender and fuchsia. <laughs> And tangerine. And, you know, girls, every woman in this room knew when I said that color, what color that was. Periwinkle, I don't think. Does any man know what periwinkle is? <laughs> Most men don't. But a woman does. But she, is, she heightens and, and, and makes everything bigger and more beautiful. That's why when you listen to your wife, that doesn't mean you have to do everything she says. But she can bring you wisdom to see things that you maybe cannot see. She was designed for that. And an incubator, uh, you know, all the parts of an incubator, I talked about that last night. Incubators adapt. We talked about that one, how that a woman can adapt. She can adapt to things. I didn't say this last night, but you remember the, um, 
some of you did this in science class. Maybe they don't do it anymore. But they'd have a plant, and they'd put it in red water. And the, if you watched it for a few days, all of a sudden that red would go up in the plant, and you'd see the red in the veins of the plant. That's kind of like a woman. She'll adapt to who you are. She was made to help adapt to you. But if you mistreat her, she'll also adapt to that. And nothing is more crushing for a woman than for her husband not to respect and honor and listen to what she has to say. Because she was given to you to help you. And when you don't love her enough to seek her as your best friend and as your counselor, it just shuts down her gift. It shuts her gift down. Because she was made by God to do this. Think about incubator. You give her a seed, she'll grow you a baby. You give her a house, she'll turn it into a home. You give her groceries, she'll, she'll make you a meal. That doesn't mean a man can't cook. It just, I just want you to see today that sitting beside you is the greatest gift that God ever gave creation. And that was this woman so that she could bring to your life the things that you need. And I've studied this so much. Do you know most of the patriarchs? Not all of them. But they found their wives by a well. And a well always represents water and the Holy Spirit. Rebecca was found at the well. Moses' wife, Zipporah, was found at the well. Rachel was at a well. You just see, and, and oh my goodness, there's layers and layers and layers in the Word of God that just show you how God wants marriage to work, why it's so important, why it's so fought, and I'm going to give this back to you. So let's, let's conclude with this and then we'll take a break. Uh, so you give her groceries, you get a meal. <laughs> Seed, give you a baby. But you give her trouble, she give you hell. <laughs> and we'll close with that. Okay, let's take a break. Did you get that? Let me talk about a couple of things on the table. Let's go about, uh, let's, let's take a 10-minute break, go to the bathroom and stretch a little bit, check out our table, talk about a couple of things. We have a CD series called Blending a Family. And this is all about if you've been married before or your spouse has been married before, some of the challenges that you're going to face to blend together. Uh, you got kids from different marriages. And there's just some things in the Bible that will help you understand how to, how to do this and how to get the blessing of God on, through the challenges of that. Our book, Devil Proof Your Family, these cards right here, this is called Discipleship to Go. My daughter-in-law, who's my son, who's a pastor, his wife, came up with these. And these are designed to give you, there are 36 cards here. And this is designed for when you're taking your kids to school, you're picking them up in the afternoon, you're having breakfast in the morning. Take one of these cards every week of the school year. It's one per week. And you can talk about a principle a practicality on how to talk to this to your kids about this, a scripture you can teach them and even help them memorize so you as a parent can teach your kids. I think parents know I need to teach my kids about God. They just don't know exactly what to say. This is a fantastic little tool. And it's based on Deuteronomy 6 that says, uh, God told children of Israel, talk to your kids about me and do it when you walk by the way, when you sit, at, sit in your house, when you lay down at night, when you rise up in the morning, God's saying, integrate the things of God into your family. Talk about Jesus. Thank you for your presence with us this morning, Lord. We just honor you right now. We love you. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. 
that you've given us to help us. We ask your blessing on all that we've taught on each one of these marriages. Thank you for lights coming on, that we may leave here different than we came, that we may fulfill this great purpose you put us on the earth to do. And we pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. And uh, have you learned anything yet? Is this helping anybody? You know what's cool when you think about how this works, how that you are a team, uh, a, a marriage is a team put on the earth to fulfill this grand purpose. I love that. Uh, we need purpose. I think a lot of people don't. They lose their purpose and they lose their way. But God has designed marriage to be a partnership to fulfill this purpose. So Trudy talked about the way women tick. The, you know, we've talked about how men tick. Let's talk about the top three needs of men and women. And I think this will put a little more meat on the bone. Honey, you want to come up with me? Uh, and you just talk when you want to. But uh, let, let's talk about the top three needs of a man first. Top three needs of a man. Write these down if you're taking notes. All right, number one, men need respect. That's a number one need of a man. We talked a little bit about this last night, about how men find their uh, worth, so to speak, in what they do. Now, you're more than what you do, and yet you were put on this earth to do something. And you want to be respected for what you do. And men, you know, this is like the driving force behind a man. Uh, there's a story in the Bible about, this is interesting, this is men, about uh, John in the book of John, Whenever John's talking about when they went to the tomb, the, the women had come and told them that Jesus was not there. And so Peter and John run to the tomb, right? And it says in John 20, verse 5, and this is a man. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, or John was the one, when you read the book of John, he kept calling himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And isn't that interesting? Now, there's two things I think going on there. First of all, he did have a, a revelation of how much God loved him. But then he's saying, I think Jesus loves me a little bit more because I was pretty important to him. And I mean, you ever think about that? And that's kind of, men need that in life. And then it says they were running to the tomb and, and John just inserts, because this is a man, he said, and John outran Peter. Well, why did, why did he throw that in? Because <laughs> that's a man. Uh, yeah, we raced and by the way, I won. But it's not that big a deal, but I didn't win. You know, that's guys. I remember one time uh, I went to, when I'd just come to work with Willie George in 1982. It was a while back, right? And uh, we were traveling. We were doing a meeting somewhere. And this is back when uh, racquetball was a popular thing, popular sport. I hear it's kind of coming back. Anybody here ever played racquetball? Nobody. Okay. She you have? Okay. We like it. Anyway... <laughs> But there are a lot of people playing racquetball. So we're on this meeting. We were in Louisville, Kentucky. And so I, I say, let's go play racquetball. He's never played racquetball. Well, here's racquetball. You're in this court with, you know, walls all around. And racquetball can kill you until, because you'll run around and try to catch the ball until you learn how to play it off the walls. And it's something you've got to develop. You know what I'm talking about? Because it, if you just try to keep, you know, it'll run you ragged. So I played before, and, and Willie George, you don't know him, but he is probably the most competitive person I have ever met in my life. And God put that in him to do what he's called to do. But, but we're playing ragged ball. So I'm just killing him. 
I mean, he can't score a point, but he's running and he's sweating. And the more we play, the madder he gets. <laughs> and we're on a meeting. We're, we're representing Jesus, right? But he just got <laughs> mad and threw his racket down and walked off the court. He says, I hate this game. <laughs> and I didn't beat. He, he, we'd play other things, and he won a lot. Very competitive. But we'd go to somewhere, and I'd say, hey, man, let's go. Just a razzing. Let's go play racquetball. And he never played racquetball again the rest of his life. He never learned how to play it. Why? Because he's a man. <laughs> and it wasn't good, and it hit his respect. So this is a big deal. Women, you need to respect your man. And I tell you when men need respect the most is when they blow it and when they're not doing very good. And he needs to know that you believe in him. Because it does something to him when you do. Number two, need of men. Men need recreational companionship. Or the number two reason men get married is they want a buddy to hang out with. And they want somebody to support them as a friend. And, you know, it's just, and I see this working. It's like anything that I do around the house, I want Trudy to notice it. And I want her to tell me it was good. Did you write that down? He, he needs that bad from you. <laughs> he needs you to be his friend. Okay. But it's like when I mow the yard yes, or yes. I want her to go, oh, the yard looks nice. No, you don't. You say, you don't think the yard looks good. <laughs> That's what he said. Yes, I do. I think the yard looks wonderful. I need that. Yes, yes. Or it when does, it does. I've got an old pickup, an old 87 vintage pickup truck. It's black. It was my dad's. He bought it new in 1987. My dad went to heaven, but I kept his pickup truck. So I keep that thing up. I've, I've paid for that truck many times over with all, you know, 1987, put everything new on it through the years. But I, I keep it really waxed. And when I really have it shiny and pretty, I want you to notice. Yes. And I'll have her come out, hey, come here, look at the truck. And, oh, it's wonderful. And, you know, it's beautiful. Yeah. I don't think she gives I don't think she gives a rip. I, really. <laughs> well, and two, you know, find things that you love to do together that you that you don't necessarily have to be doing the same thing. Let me explain. He loves the beach. Absolutely loves the beach. Yep. He wants to go to the beach, get in the water, get sand all over him. Get smacked by the waves. I hate that. But what I do, so we can do it together, is I get a chair, and I get a Starbucks coffee or whatever, and I get a book, and I sit on the shore, and I watch everything he's doing and tell him how wonderful he is at, at his body surfing. But we're together. Makes it sound like I'm just so needy, no. right? <laughs> but some of it is you just... You just want them in your presence. You just want them there. They're your companion. Right. Um, we had a friend. Uh, he lives in Florida, and uh, he's a pastor there. And his wife came to see me uh, in Tul- when we were living in Tulsa. And she said, when I'm at home, he can go through the whole day, and he's busy. And he may not say a word to me, but he wants me near him. But she said, since I've been here, he has called me every 30 minutes and just said nothing. I fed the turtles this morning out by the pond. Oh, good. I'm glad that you did. But see, he's just missing her presence. 
You know, your presence means so much, and you should, you should really honor that you have each other yeah. every day of your life. Yeah. You know, I have two older sisters, and uh, both of them, in the last two months, their husbands went home to be with the Lord. So I'm walking through grief with both of them. They've both been married 61 years. And just, you know, the, the, the moments where they said, and they tell me over and again, please, please, please. Just every day is precious. Don't take any day for granted. Because when it's over, it's over and they're gone. And, you know, they'll see them again. But sometimes we take our relationships in marriage for granted. Yep. And uh, we can go through the day and not care and not act like, you know, but, but every day is precious. Every and I'm day. not saying you need to live afraid and live like, yeah. like every day is your last day. But yet, on the other hand, your marriage is precious. Yeah. And sometimes we really take each other for granted in our marriages. Mm. And you just need to stop. I, I remember when he had that little act, you know, thing in January. Uh, I'm telling you, he scared the fire out of me because he just, he was standing there and he just passed out. And when I looked at him, his eyes were set and he's just laying there staring. And I thought he was dead. And in that moment, I thought, how did I get here in a second? And that's when I jumped in the middle of him and commanded him if he was dead to come back. So I don't know what happened in that moment. Maybe I did get him back because he'd been bleeding internally for a while. His blood pressure was about... I don't know, it was really low. But in those moments, sometimes you forget, you know what, this, is, this person is precious to me. What would I do without them? So this, this companionship thing is something you don't need to take for granted. Yeah. So. so that's number two. Men need security. They need, excuse me, men need respect. They need companionship. And then number three, men need sex. That's a number three need. And it's interesting because the, the list I studied Sex came in on the women's list, number 14, after gardening. <laughs> when I read that, that really bothered me for a long time. So she would rather garden. <laughs> really. But here's what you got to understand. <laughs> Some of you are just waking up. I don't know. <laughs> for a man... Sex, is, it, it has a whole different place in his life than a woman. It's not that she doesn't enjoy it. But, you know, man carries the seed for reproduction, right? And when a baby boy is born, he, begin, he begins to produce seed and will continue to produce new seed the rest of his life. And that's indicative of, of the sex drive, but it also speaks to the fact that a man needs to fulfill something in life, something that... He wants to plant seed to do something, you know, not just sexually, but, but that's a man, right? Whereas a, a, a baby girl carries the egg, and at birth, she gets all the eggs she'll ever have. So we'll talk a little bit more about sex in a minute. But sex for men, is, it, it's, it's a big deal, and, and you're just so very different. You know, just to draw an analogy, when it comes to, to sex and the way it works, Men, somebody said, are like microwave ovens. It's like for a man, you just see something, you get a thought, and it's like, okay, microwave oven heats up quick, right? Women are more like crock pots. I'll let that sit there a minute. Did you get the picture? 
They warm up slowly, put something in there, takes hours and hours and hours. <laughs> takes a while, right? You, get, you follow me? We'll talk more about that in a minute. Uh, yeah. Listen, sex is in the Bible. The devil didn't create it. Create it. God created it, and it's a good thing. Everybody says it's a good thing. Thank you. All right. So, but, but some things to understand about it. So, that's men. They need respect, companionship, and sex. For women, this, this is the top three. You want to read these? Yeah. Uh, for women, one of their top needs is... Or the top need. Or the top need is yep. security. They want to feel secure. They want to feel protected. They want to know that you're going to take care of the home and the children, and you're going to defend them. And, and then security, all, I talked about that a little earlier. One of the greatest securities a woman has is when you serve God and you come to church and you, you be a godly man. You pray for the family and you're there with that, just that we're, we know, we're going somewhere with our life. You know, women need that. So security is a big issue. Uh, family support and financial commitment. And, and, you know, we're in a little different time now where most of the time both, both of the spouses work and, uh, but still, a woman just wants to know that you're going to take care of them. You're leading. That yeah. you're leading. Yeah. And uh, so security is number one. Number two is communication. And this will dovetail into what we were talking about with sex. One of the things that a woman needs in her life is affection. And that means not a sexual kind of a perfect, uh, affection, but they need to just know that you love them at their thoughts and their wisdom and their heart. And one of the ways that women n- need to, and, and they distress like this, women have to distress by talking. That's just, they need communication, they need to talk, they need to talk to their husbands. Sometimes, um, and, and this is a little tip that I can give to couples, a woman distresses when she's able to just get her heart out to you. It doesn't necessarily even mean she wants you to fix it either. Because men automatically, this is what usually happens. A woman starts to tell her husband a problem and he goes into fixer mode because that's who he is. He wants to fix everything. So he cuts her off and he doesn't really listen because he's trying to figure out how to fix it. And what you need to do, girls, is say, look, I want to talk, I want you to listen, but I don't necessarily want you to to do anything about it. I just want you to listen to my heart right now. I don't want you to fix it. Because see, when a man hears a problem, he doesn't de-stress. He, his, his brain goes into action. And so if you can just say, I don't want any action. I just want you to listen to my heart right now. And then a lot of times, this is a woman, and no man has figured this out. She'll start to talk, and then she'll start to cry a little. And then she'll cry, and she'll tell you all this stuff. And and the guy's just kind of sitting there going, I don't know what to do with this. I, I, she's crying. And then all of a sudden, she gets it all out, and she takes a big, deep breath. <sighs> I feel so much better. And he's thinking, what just happened? I don't know. <laughs> she just needs you to listen to her heart. Yep. Because when you listen to her, and you listen to her wisdom, and you listen to what she has to say on any subject, because remember, you are a partnership. You're a partnership. And if you don't listen to her, that hurts her. But um, you just need to be very aware that she needs your affection. She needs to know that you care more about her heart and her 
uh, brain more than you do her body. And when you make her feel like she's honored in, as, a, as a wise woman, as a person in your life, yeah. then that way she wants to open up to you more physically. So that's, that's what we were talking about. There's a whole difference in the way women think about sex. Uh, women, they, it's not they don't like it, but emotionally they're, t- they're totally different. Like if one of their children are sick or hurting or something, it's very hard for them to engage a lot of times. And you have to understand, you got to understand how she operates. But you also got to understand how he operates too. Because, listen, the only legal place for sex is in the marriage. That's why men got married, so they could have legal sex, okay? I'm just being real honest to you, with you. And sometimes, you know, we've, we've counseled so many people, and before they got married, we had to say, look, you, need, you can't do this anymore. This is sin. You need to ask God to forgive you and get married and get the blessing of God on it. And then they get married, and then they don't have sex anymore. So, you know, the enemy wants to fight that in your life. So you need to, you need to work on that. It's a very important part of your marriage yeah. is to work on that. And, uh, yeah, we're talking about that. Go to 1 Corinthians 7, too. Let's, let's uh, plow this out a little bit. talks about uh, sex and... I'll begin reading here out of the New Living. 1 Corinthians 7, 2. But because there's so much sexual immorality... Now, that was going on back in Bible days. And it's going on much more even today, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's always been sexual immorality... And we're living in a time when it is ratcheted up like no other, no, no other culture. You know, it, internet, the internet has released a, just a plethora of different ways you can sin now. They weren't even invented when I was a kid. When I was a kid, we had pornography. But it was pretty much confined to a magazine, uh, a few movies that you had to go to. I was raised in a really small town. And so they had, like, magazines you could buy in this little town I lived in. But society was different. So as a teenager, it's legal for me to buy that, but there was restraints. And here's the restraint. I go buy that. The lady that checks me out at the drugstore knows my mama. And she's probably going to call her before I get home with it. So in our culture, there was, there was lines and boundaries. It's not like that anymore. You're a click away. The average age for a, for a child to see uh, pornography, hardcore pornography, for the first time is eight years old wow. in our society. And uh, so there's sexual immorality we've got to be aware of. But because of this, it says this, here's the answer to it. Each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Now here's the way this works. Let's get real practical here. It, it talks about the husband should take care of his wife first. Or I'll say it this way. If you are more interested in her being happy, chances are, gentlemen, you're going to get happy too. Y'all are looking at me real funny. Did you get that? In other words, if you're caring about her, you're caring about her emotionally. And then just how, you know, sexually, how this works. You're wanting her to, to be pleased in, in, the, uh, in the event. Then if you're, wor- if you're concerned about her, then you're probably going to be taken care of yourself. And that's the way God's designed it to work, to work. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband. 
and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And then it goes on to say, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Or In other, in other words, there's a time to pull away. If, and, and even maybe you fast. Mm-hmm. You know, in our church, we have a season of fasting in the first of the year. We always do that. Many churches do that. Uh, and it's a good time to get people focused on God. That's what fasting does. Puts your flesh under. When you tell it it can't eat, it doesn't like that. But it makes you more sensitive to God. And that's the, that's the power of fasting. And so it's okay to do that for a while. But then afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So God's designed this to work a particular way. And this is of God. God created this. And it's a very important part of your relationship. It's one of the things that joins you together. So let's go back to our, uh, our needs. Let me find them. I skipped ahead here. Uh, the last one is, do you remember it, babe? You can talk about it. While I carefully look here. <laughs> I may have already covered it. I don't think you covered all of them. Okay. Here we go. Number three, leadership. Leadership. And I, I actually, I did talk about that you some did last some, night. Yeah. Uh, women need to feel like they're going somewhere and they want their husband to, to uh, give them a clear, a clear view of what they feel like God wants them to do. Now, you can't always know everything, but most of the time a woman wants her husband to come to her and say, I've been praying and God's told me this is what we're going to do. This is how we... But the biggest vision you'll have, and I'll say this as a, as a woman, the biggest vision that a woman has is that she wants her husband to lead her family towards God. That's the greatest, your spiritual leadership. But then just, just having a plan. I know um, most women, they, it's like he said earlier, you want to submit, but if they don't have a mission, you don't know how to hook your wagon up and help them. So it's frustrating. So that doesn't mean you have to have all the answers, but... Uh, you need to have leadership in your family, leadership with your children. Don't let your wife do all the spiritual stuff. Don't, don't let your wife be the one that always teaches the word to the kids. Don't let your wife be the one that always puts them to bed and says the prayers with them at night. They need that father image so they can know what the heavenly father looks like. So leadership is a big thing to women, too. They just want you to let them know where we're going with this family, with this life. And if, you, if they don't know, they'll tell you and say, I'm not sure, but I'm going to get with God and find out. And that's really all a woman wants. She doesn't want you to know everything. She just wants to know that you're trying to, to, to make sure your family's living for God and going somewhere in life. Yeah. So. so we've talked about how that we think differently. Did you get that? Men and women don't think the same. But here's the way God's designed this to work. I'll give you a couple of, of analogies as we start to close here. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's like what happens when, here's the word I'm looking for. It's the word bonding. You have to bond together. Now, in chemistry terms, there are different elements that bond together that create life, right? Like salt is something that we physically need in our body. 
you, uh, you, you know, you, you must have this degree of salt. You can have too much salt and it's not good for you. But if you don't have salt, you're going to die. But here's salt. Salt is equal parts of sodium and chloride, raw elements, that bond. And when they bond, they create life. But here's the thing about sodium and chloride. They're very different. And if you think as a human being, okay, I need some salt. So I'll just take a shot of sodium or a shot of chloride. It doesn't work that way. They have to bond on the outside, or they are toxic when, if you took them by themselves. And that's what happens to some marriages sometimes. They don't bond. They're not, you have to work on bonding. And that happens over, you know, we've talked about how when you get married, you make a profession before God. You, you make vows to each other. It's a holy thing. We're going to end with a marriage vows in just a minute. But it, God honors it. If you are a Christian, I believe, or you are not, you are still doing something that honors God. You're entering into a marriage, different degrees of covenant. If you're a Christian, of course, that's ideal. But even if you're not, I believe God looks down and honors that and two become one. In a moment of time, you spiritually are joined. And then you're joined physically with the sexual relationship. And every time you do that, you're declaring to each other and even before God, we are one. This is something we have uniquely with each other. Nobody else has this because we are one together. But then the, the, the mental bonding, you have to do all your life. You have to work on that. And you have to honor the different roles that you have so you can complete what God's called you to do. Give you another analogy. It's like a stagecoach back in the Old West. Now, I got to be on a cowboy, kids cowboy TV show. I played a character named Nicodemus, and we would do, this was like a daily show. We did over 200 episodes of this show back in the 80s and 90s. And it, it ran on all Christian cable networks. On the East Coast, we were on the old Pat Robertson show back in the 80s. We were on daily at 7.30 every morning. So when we go to a meeting on the East Coast because of the power of TV, we'd show up at a church, and there have been times we'd have to do three services because so many people came. So it was very popular. So we did the show, and then we did a couple of movies, feature-length movies. Mm -hmm. The show was primarily a studio thing. We did inside, kids' TV show with our characters. But then we would do these movies where we would go on, on location. And we had, like, Kenneth Copeland was in, was in three of them. And uh, Jesse Duplantis was in one. Uh, Jerry Savelle was in one. So uh, we'd go like in western Oklahoma. We went down in the, uh, uh, the Gloss Mountains in southern Oklahoma. We shot everything in Oklahoma. But uh, one time we were shooting out in western Oklahoma, and we had a guy come from Houston with a stagecoach. And so full-blown, authentic stagecoach. It was really cool. So we had four-horse team on the stagecoach. So I learned, I, I'd ride around with him, and I learned the difficulty of driving a stagecoach that I didn't know. you got four horses on a team driving a coach, right? But the driver has to have reins for each horse, and he puts them to, between his fingers. And he has to manipulate those reins uh, in order to make the horse, you know, this, this one pull back, th give this one a little more head. So here's my point. Back in the Old West... Uh, stagecoach was one of the before the railroad that was a major way for travel and to, you carried the mail stagecoach you carried uh, money you carried passengers right so you had to have the stagecoach driver and that was his role he drives a stagecoach 
the roads were rough. You know, you're going dirt roads. There were no highways, of course. Uh, you manipulating those horses. So you got to be focused on the vision of where you're going to get where you're going, right? You got to protect everything around you. But then you had somebody that helped you called shotgun. Remember shotgun? You ever call shotgun whenever you were a kid? Like we did when I was a teenager. Uh, I was the first kid in my class to have a car. I had a 63 Ford Galaxy 500. Big old car. I don't know if you've ever seen the cars of the 60s. They were huge. You could have lived in the back seat of my car. And the irony of that was I was a little guy. I didn't really start growing until I was about 16. So I got my car when I was 14 because I got my driver's license. You could do that back then. And, And my dad got me this 63 Ford car. I was so little I couldn't look over the steering wheel to drive it. I had to look between the dashboard and the steering wheel through that little crack so you'd see my car running around town, and it's like, nobody's driving that car. Who is it? And it was me, because I was little. So, but my point in all that was, we would, my buddies and I would go, we would go to a, the bigger town, you know. And we got sometimes six guys, seven guys, and somebody would yell, shotgun! So whoever yells that gets to sit in the front seat uh, by the door. Because nobody wants to sit in the middle with a bunch of guys, right? So the irony of that is here's what we'd do. We'd get together. We'd say, let's go to town and find some girls. We're, we're 15 years old looking for girls. Here's the deal. We're 15. We don't know what to do with girls if we find them. And number two, we don't have any room for any girls. What were we thinking? We got the car full of guys. Anyway, back to my, shot, my stagecoach. So you got the driver driving the coach, right? But then you got to have a guy called Shotgun. He's got a different role. He's not driving, but his role is very important. It's like, it's like the man is the driver, but the wife is like Shotgun. She, she's got a different perspective. She can look around and see things you can't see, right? She uh, has a weapon to help you get down the road. She spots something. She says, well, 3 o'clock, we got some... We got some bandits coming over here. And together as a team, you get the coach down the road. Does that make sense? But it's important to honor each other's role. And I just want to close with this. We're doing pretty good on time. Marriage is a holy covenant that you make. It's a holy thing. It's a a vow that you make to God and to each other. And when you do it, God hears it. And your spouse hears it. And it is, a, it is designed by God to be a commitment for life. Through the hard times, through the good times, and your family is so, so very important. Uh, you know, uh, Billy Graham, help me with this quote, Billy and his wife. Uh, Billy Graham was a great man of God. Gone to, him and his wife have both gone to heaven now. But he and his wife were married how many years? Like 64 years? Yeah, and his wife, when uh, somebody asked her, how did you stay married so long with all the challenges that you two faced, and what did she say? She said, we were happily incompatible. Think about that one. They learned how to flow with each other because they were from two different worlds. And, and then he said this. He said, if you both think the same way, one of you is not important. In other words... You need both of you, both of you. Yeah. What you think, what you do is important. Yeah. It's, the, it's the partnership that makes the difference. And uh, 
That's what we want for all of you today. We want you to become partners in your marriage. Yep. And if you're not married, make sure you find a good, a, a good man or woman that loves God first, that you can be a partner with spiritually, and then build a life together with a purpose to further the kingdom of God with what you're doing with your life and your family. That's what marriage is all about. Really, marriage was for God. It's his institute. You know, he's, he's not here in a body. We are. And so he uses our body to get the job done. And that's how he wanted to work. You know, prayer is nothing more than an uh, earthly license to a heavenly interference. And you have to ask God into your life. He will not come in. He won't make you do anything. He won't make you make a choice. But he will present you with uh, directives in his word that will help you make it in every situation. And uh, we found that to be true after 50 years. Well, there's been times we'd go through things and I'd think, I have no idea what we're going to do. And he wouldn't either. But we, all, we knew the track record of our father. And we knew that in every situation, if we would wait on him, love him, seek after him, and do what he wanted us to do, he would always show us what to do, and the peace would come. Uh, he'll help you in any situation. Yeah. And he wants to help you today. There's nothing that's, that's, that's not that he can't handle if you, if you put it in his hands. Right. And we've been through all kinds of things. Yep. You know, I was telling somebody at the book table, and I don't want I, I to go too long here, but uh, our son, uh, who's a pastor, and his wife, uh, they were expecting a baby, and at five weeks, I mean, not five weeks, but five months, they, were, they went in to find out what the sex of the baby was, and they were going to come home. We were going to have a big celebration. And uh, they called, and I, I, I mean, I called them, and nobody's answering, and I'm thinking, something isn't right, something's wrong. And uh, so finally I got him on the phone and Josh said, well, we found out today that instead of finding out we were gonna, what we were going to have, we found out we were going to have a son, but his heart has stopped and he's gone. And, you know, in that situation, you're thinking, how can God fix this? How can he fix this? This baby's gone. But as a family, see, because we were the foundation and we taught them, when you get in this, God will help you. And he will help you get through it. And we decided to go through. We were not going to park at adversity and let that ruin our life. And, and my children, I watched them so valiantly use their faith. And my little daughter-in-law, you, you'd have to meet her. She's a little tiny fireball. But she came home from that. She had to deliver that little baby that was dead and go home empty-handed. And she went home, and she, she had our two other little grandbabies, and they had made their mind up, we will advance. I don't know how, but we will advance through this. And she said she was cutting up an onion one day, and the Lord said, uh, what are you thankful for? You, you don't have that little boy, but what else can you be thankful for? And she decided that day, she said, I am going to write down Every day for a year, 25 things that I'm thankful for. And she began to write and began to minister. And she put it on the Internet, and that thing went all over the world. And she began to minister to women that had lost babies and began to rebuild their faith because she said, I'm going to have another baby, and it's going to be fine. 
And out of her thankful heart for what she had, she rebuilt. And at the end of that year, she had written a devotional that went everywhere. It was called 10,000 Reasons because the Lord said, I bet you've got 10,000 reasons to praise God. And that's what she did. And it was based off that song that, that was written called 10,000 Reasons because they sang that through the delivery the night that baby was born. They began to bless God and thank him in the middle of that. See, that's the kind of faith we're talking about. You're going to go through valleys, and you're going to go to mountaintops, and you're going to go through valleys, but you take each other's hand, and you do it together. And over the years, you build this thing where you just know, I don't care what comes against us. I know my God. I know my Father. He's going to take care of us. He'll take care of our kids. We don't have the answer right now, but the answer's in the house. It's in our hearts and our spirits when you put God in there. And you can build a good marriage. And you have no idea how important your marriage is to God. You just think you're a couple of little people that got together. No, he has a purpose for you. And it's a purpose that no one else can fill. Right. There's nobody like you. You'll reach people that I'll never see, never touch, never know. But with your life and your giftings and your faith, you can change the world around you. And when each couple does that, then you've got a church full of people that have affected hundreds, and then that affects thousands. You just, you don't really realize it because you think you're small, but you're not. Right. That's why God started with one marriage. One marriage. Because one God. marriage can change the world. Change the world. So. You know, I'm gonna, I want to read these uh, close. I want to read you the basic Protestant vows of marriage that have been traditional that I love. If you're, if you're married today, I encourage you to take your spouse's hand. And really listen to what I'm about to read. If you want to be married, this is the way it, it's going to have to be. If you're going to have the right kind of marriage. But here we go. It would be I so-and-so take thee so-and-so. We're talking about wedding vows. To be my lawful wedded husband or wife. To have and to hold. It's part of it. From this day forward, for better, for worse. Now, wor now, better is the best, right? But sometimes you're going to deal with worse in life. Remember that curse on the earth? For richer, for per poorer. Now, richer is a lot better than poorer. But are you willing to walk through the challenges that you're going to have? In sickness and in health. Sickness will come against you from time to time in life. I mean, it's a fact. There's a curse on the world. Are you going to stay together through those things? To love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto, and I'm going to read the old King James sounding vow because I think it's so cool. Therefore, I plight thee my troth. That means I pledge loyally my faith and loyalty to you. And that's the way God wants marriage to work. So let's pray for our marriages right now. Father, I thank you as I look across this room for these couples, for these people that have come to hear about this. Maybe they want to get married. Young, old, whatever. Lord, if that be true, we stand in faith with them for the, the right spouse because that's very important. 
But Lord, as we come together in your presence right now, we just make a brand new commitment to each other and to you that we are willing to rise up and do what it takes to fulfill this union on the earth that you have called us to, that we have pledged and committed to each other in a holy commitment to God. I come against the enemy that is trying to fight against these homes in Jesus' name. We declare you are exposed, Satan. Your plans are exposed. And you will not. There may be people that have come in to this meeting this weekend. Maybe they're on their last leg, they think. But you will not take them down. Because we have what it takes on the inside of us. And I I, uh, pray over these marriages. And I consecrate them with my words uh, to you. Lord, that we may fulfill, fulfill all you've called us to do. And we make a new commitment and we pledge these things to you and we praise you for helping us do it by the power of the Holy Spirit. That this church may fulfill its assignment with these marriages that are here, these couples. In Jesus' name we pray. We give you thanks, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 I believe the Lord is telling me something for you guys. I believe the Lord would say, I've called you to a very unusual thing. And it's a season that won't last forever. And I appreciate that you've been willing to do what you're called to do. Because there are times it's hard. And there are times that you wonder. And you wonder what's going to be the end result. But I tell you today that the end result will be blessing. And I'm going to use you in this unusual calling. In these two places in your life. But I'm not only going to use you. I'm going to bring others alongside you. So open your eyes to recognize them. There will be some that you can't trust. But there are some coming that will have your heart. And I'll show you, says the Lord. And I'll direct you and I'll lead you to those that you'll be able to put confidence in. And they'll help take the burden. They'll help relieve some of, the, some of this chapter Because this chapter will end and this chapter will produce the plan of God that I have for you to fulfill your calling on the earth. And the times cannot stop you and sickness can't stop you and the enemy's not big enough to stop you and I will surely strengthen you with my power and my strength to do what I've called you to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I have something for you, Michelle, personally. The Lord gave me the scripture. He says... There shall be a performance of those things promised her by the Lord. That's for you. I don't know what that's about, but you do. And it just jumped up in my heart. God's a faithful God. He's so faithful. I'm here to tell you, we've we've been on a long old journey, 50 years. When we were 17 and 19, we didn't know anything. But we found Jesus Christ. And he'll lead you and walk before you all the days of your life if you'll let him. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for investing in your marriage. Just being here tells God you care about your marriage. And he appreciates that because he loves you and he loves your marriage more than you could possibly know. So we call you blessed. We just call you blessed in Jesus' name.
I do not know you girls either. You're sitting there together. I saw you on the praise and worship team. And uh, I heard the Lord say, don't settle. Do not settle. Don't settle. I feel like that means something to you, does it? Don't settle. Remember your gift. Yeah. Your gift. To the right, the right guy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. Done. What? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not. <laughs> God is. Ever since I've met you two, I just had this overwhelming feeling—not feeling, feeling sense. How much God loves and appreciates the two of you. you. You two have got some really good, cool gifts inside of you, especially as a team. And, uh, yeah, he, he's very pleased with you. He's very pleased with you, both of you. And uh, sometimes we think God doesn't notice what we do. <laughs> oh, he does. Yes, he does. Because he's more interested in you two getting what he wants you to do for him than sometimes you even realize. I've been like that in my life. I've thought, well, you know, I'm just Trudy. And the Lord said, no, I sent you here. I sent you here with a purpose. And, you know, I've had to get my little rear busy before and say, okay, then I'm going to dig in deeper and find out what that is. So, but he just said, I am pleased with you two. Pleased with you too. Because you know the Bible says your faith pleases him. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So you too must be full of a lot of faith in God. A lot of dreams. But they're coming. They'll come. And he's <laughs> Because it's going to be a different kind of road. Because just like your leaders are walking a different kind of road, you're going to have to walk a different kind of road too. But those that are willing to adjust to that road, says the Lord, then greater blessing will come your way. And there will always be an open door for you. And I'll always take care of you. And even in the, the confusion of the moment, just look to me. Because i got to have people sometimes that are willing to do it outside the box. So what I'm going to do with you is going to be a little outside the box. Oh, thank you, but the, Jesus. <laughs> those that are willing to go outside the box, there's blessing outside the box. There's a special thank blessing. You, thank you, Jesus. There you go. Hallelujah.